Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we were just reminded that you understand and you care. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you sent your only begotten Son that we could know that comfort, know your presence, and know your power in the midst of our weakness. Now speak through thy word once again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Colossians this morning as we continue our series in this tremendous letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be picking it up at verse 16. We had made reference to verse 16 uh, the last week, but uh, we're going to begin there again because there's, there's more to uh, understand and it connects with the next few verses we are going to be looking at. Uh, but at this point, the Apostle Paul uh, understands that the church at Colossae, they were struggling because there were people who were coming into the church and they were trying to revert the Jewish Christians back into Judaism. In other words, they are saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but here's the rules and regulations of the law. You need to follow them, otherwise you won't be saved. God won't be pleased with you. And so now he's, Paul is going to deal with what term is used to define when someone lays regulations and rules on you that are as a Christian, and they expect you to obey and abide by those rules, uh, and they condemn you for not doing them or looking down on you and judging you as if you're not spiritual enough. And he's going to deal with this. Now, churches, uh, all ch churches have their own, set up their own traditions, their own rules that they follow over the years. We have ours here, and uh, it's important to have uh, an organized church and and have policies in place of concerning behavior and things like that. But it's interesting when you look back uh, in the history of our nation that many churches uh, put. And, and even states put certain rules and regulations and laws in place uh, for especially Sundays. How many remember the term blue laws? You remember blue laws? Yeah. Where the, the town or church, they would give out these laws that this is what you can't do on Sunday. People can't do on Sunday. But then uh, so I, I, I found some of them. I'd like to just read a, a few of them to you that are still on the books, okay, in some of the states. A church in Alabama, they have this in their constitution. It is illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in the church. <laughs> Wait, no, mind you real. Um, Delaware, Rehoboth Church, it is illegal to whisper in church. Can you believe that? 
Maine. Shotguns must be taken to church in the event of a Native American attack. Yep, Massachusetts and Boston. It is against the law to eat peanuts while in church. So anybody has peanuts, you may leave. Uh, Mississippi, private citizens may arrest anyone who disturbs a church service. Ohio, you ready for this one? Ohio, it is against the law to kill a housefly within 160 feet of a church without a license. Go figure. And the last one here is West Virginia. In Nicholas County, West Virginia, no clergy members may tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during church services. Well, looks like I'm going to be arrested just by that. But this is, Paul's going to go here, but he, Paul is getting serious about rules and regulations that other uh, people who claimed to profess to be Christians were bringing Judaism, the law, back in and saying, no, 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 no. This is, this is what you, as a believer, must do in order to be accepted by God and make sure you are saved. Let's look at together verses 16 and 17, Colossians 2. Therefore, Paul writes, and again, he had been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that all our sin, all our sinful debt has been nailed to the cross of Christ. So that's why he adds the word therefore, because of what Christ did for us. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. There's a key. The substance belongs to Christ. And uh, that word festival there uh, is uh, also termed uh, holy day. Some translations called it a holy day. Do you know where we get our term holiday from? We get it from the Old English, who, but, but the Old English called certain special occasions, certain days, holy days. And so suddenly in modern language, it was combined to call holiday. So every holiday back then, according to the Jews, was, was a, a holy day. But here's the, the important principle Paul is trying to get across. That they have free, the believer has freedom in Christ. And we are not under a, the law and regulations and rules that, that came out from the Old Testament that God gave to the Jewish nation. The term legalism. He's going to be, he's referring to that now. And this is the definition of legalism. Excessive adherence to law or formula. Excessive adherence to law or formula. That's the definition. It stresses obedience apart from faith. And when you do that, we have what's called legalism. However... 
we, we must understand that we are under grace, we're under the new covenant, and you and I have the freedom in Christ. We're not under the law anymore. And the false teachers in Colossae were evidently insisting on abstinence to the church, people in the church. To, they were insisting on abstinence from certain foods, observing certain days, that they had to do these things. Otherwise, they may not be a Christian. They may not be accepted by God. And they judged them if they didn't do what they thought was a sign of spirituality. And then we have there in verse 16, the end of verse 16, Paul mentions the Sabbath. The Sabbath. In Judaism, of course, Sabbath is what day? Saturday. Yes. Sunday is not the Old Testament Sabbath day. But we tend to, we've, we've been, uh, over the years, we've called this, this, many have called this the Sabbath day on Sunday. However, if we're going by the scriptures, Judaism, Saturday was the seventh day of the week. And therefore, it was the holy day. And God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. One of the Ten Commandments. So the holy day was from sunset Friday till sunset Saturday, during which no one could work. So the first day of the week was for them was then Sunday, today. The Jews would consider today the first day of the week, which means according to the Mosaic law, you could work on Sunday. And this was a, today would be a full day of work if you were still living under the law of Moses. Can you believe that? And so we, uh, we've gotten so mixed up, it's so easy to suddenly go back and, and someone tells us that, well, you need to, you need to really uh, worship on Saturday, now we have, a, there's a group out there called Seventh-day Adventists, and they consider the, uh, the, you know, Saturday to be the Sabbath, which is the, the truth according to the Old Testament. But they follow more along the lines of, of the many of the rules and regulations under the Old Testament law. The Apostle Paul is trying to clear this up with them and Again, a reminder that why do we then, as believers, as the church of God, worship on Sunday? Well, it's because the first century church began to meet after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and the gospel was spread, people were saved. They would gather together on Sunday because that was the day of his resurrection. We call, on, uh, when Easter comes around, we call that Sunday Resurrection Sunday. But actually, every day is Resurrection Sunday for the believer. So we come together because we are commemorating and worshiping the Lord and remembering his death and resurrection from the dead for our sins. And so we do have, uh, we, we as believers celebrate and worship on Sunday, not the Hebrew Sabbath. It's interesting, if you look at how 
Israel uh, is laid out today and the, the, the rules that they follow and the laws that they follow uh, in Israel and pretty much Orthodox Jews all around the world. Uh, they, they are trying to adhere to the Old Testament uh, Sabbath rules and regulations. Did you know that in Easter, I'm sorry, in Israel, they have Sabbath elevators? That's right. These elevators are programmed to work directly on Sabbath days. They will automatically go to every single floor and open the doors to let people on and off. This is so nobody has to push a button and so avoids doing any work on the Sabbath day. How about that? They take it seriously. They take it seriously. Now, if I mention to you, I tell you, uh, have you read the Torah lately? What would, what am I asking? What is the Torah? Anybody want to just shout it out? First, yes, first five books of the Bible, the, the law of Moses, those first five books of the Bible is considered by the Jews called the Torah. How many have heard of the term, the Talmud, the Talmud? Now, you might not hear a lot about that, but there's a difference. The Jews have another holy book called the Talmud, okay? They, they, of course, they have the, the five books of the Bible, the Torah, but they also have the, the, what's called the Talmud. The Torah, of course, refers to those first five books known as the Pentateuch, which is at the core of Jewish faith. But the Talmud is a record of the rabbinic debates in the second to the fifth century on the teachings of the Torah. In other words, rabbis from the second century to the fifth century, what they did is they would write and interpret what Moses was saying in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah. And so they would interpret what they thought it meant. And so much of it, they twisted it so much that they've stopped looking at things in the Torah as literal. And they've allegorized much of it. It's become allegorized. And so what, it, they, what someone would read it and say, well, that's what literally God meant. No, they will twist it. And now they have, um, they have a different interpretation. And they, they collected all these different interpretations and put them in one book called the Talmud. Okay. So they were trying to apply and seek answers for situations that they would encounter in life, like a Jew would encounter. For example, in the Torah, we've got the commandment, thou shalt not kill. But how does that apply to suicide, self-defense, time of war? So, and, and then there, there are other things that the, uh, the rabbis began to reform a new, uh, new definition. 
the Talmud and the Torah together form the background for Judaism today, but sadly, the Talmud has taken the place in Judaism of the Torah, of the scriptures. So now they, they consider the Talmud inspired by God, just the same as the Torah, the five books, the first five books of Moses. And so they are, many of them are living by what's written in the Talmud by men who decided, I'm going to decide what this verse says. I'm going to, it's not literal. And you know what's sad today? That's exactly what we see today. People have taken the scriptures and they have said, well, we can't look at the scriptures as literal. Can't be literal. So, so we're going we're gonna to change the definitions. This is what it really means. And then you have people who come up with their own ideas and, and they don't go right to the, to the original Greek or Hebrew, but they say, well, this really means this. And then Christians are led astray because of the wrong interpretation of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul is trying to get this across to the church. Don't fall under the control of those who are trying to get you to follow along on what they, they choose to do and believe that they are considered being holy before God and acceptable to God. Turn to Romans chapter 10 with me. Let's go over to Romans 10. And see what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome. Because Paul, again, is concerned. 10 verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you see what he says? For Christ is the end of the law. Not the beginning, but Jesus fulfilled the law. And therefore, we are under the law of Christ as the church. He is the head, we are the body. And so therefore, we must understand that our Lord Jesus Christ is our all in all. I, I, don't you love that, that song we sing? You know, he is my all in all. And that should be the case. But what happens is, as these false teachers were doing, they're taking Jesus. Well, he's not our all in all. We've got to add all these other things regulations and rules that man made up and, and we'll just throw these in here and uh and then that's that's what what a christian should be and how they should live turn to romans chapter 14 now slide over to chapter 14 <clears throat> look at verse 1 with me <clears throat> excuse me romans 14 verse 1 paul goes on now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Okay? Key word, opinions. Or you could put another word in there, convictions. Okay? One man has faith that he may eat all things. 
But he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, this is not coming down on those who are vegetarians. They have chosen uh, because of their conscience and they believe it is best for their body that they choose to just eat vegetables. Others believe that God provided all food for man to eat. But here's the problem. People were condemning others and using their own convictions as a, as a seat of judgment for somebody else in the church. Have you ever done that? It's so easy to do. Suddenly you see someone who's not doing the way you did it. Not the way it's been done for years in the church, but they do it a little differently. And there's something in their life that you, you wouldn't, wouldn't do. Uh, we've got to be so careful not to judge each other. That, this is what Paul's concerned about. Let God be the judge. God is the judge of the heart. Christ has got to be my all in all. So we go on then, verse 3. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. In other words, both are accepted. Whether you're a vegetarian or a meat eater. Who are you to judge the servant of another? There it is, right from God, through the Apostle Paul. Who are we to judge others? To his master, he stands or falls. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And here is, in verse 5, is what he was saying in, over in Colossians there, concerning festive days and holy days. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. And here's the key. End of verse 5. Let each man be fully convinced in his mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying God knows the heart. And so the one that's choosing to honor God by say, feeling a conviction not to eat meat, then God honors that. God blesses that man. But then over here, you've got a Christian who can't wait to get to Shady Maple. And, you know, and everything that's on that buffet, he's going to put on his plate. But guess what? He gets to the table. He has a clear conscience because he believes under God, God has given the freedom to eat from all things. And therefore, he gives thanks at that table. God blesses and honors that man as well. He honors both. But God forbid that we point at each other and say, well, you, you aren't living the way you should. Because this is the way I believe we should live. This is, these are the regulations I believe God put in place for us. And so there may be traditions that are, are, are dear to you. And again, convictions that you've had. My friend, don't change your convictions. 
This is not about changing your convictions. It's about taking my conviction, my opinion, and forcing it upon another believer. We've got to be so careful of that. Because then what does that lead to? It leads to a form of legalism. And then uh, look at the rest of it. Verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So let's go back now to Colossians 2. This is what Paul is focusing upon. It's so important for him here. We come to, to Colossians 2, look at verses 18 and 19. Paul goes on. Oh, by the way, the end of verse 17. So important. He said that these things, all the things from the Old Testament, the law, under the law of Moses, these things were mere shadows of what is to come. Shadows of what? We should say shadows of who? Shadows of Christ. You see the end of verse 17? But substance belongs to Christ. Therefore, Christ fulfilled the law, and that we are no longer obligated to fulfill the law, but we are obligated to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to obey him, to obey God's word, and to make sure that, that Jesus Christ is the center of all we think, all we do, all we say. Then verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, but from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Spiritual growth doesn't come from the outward things we do. Or the outward, outward uh, uh, rules and regulations that we follow. Now, uh, the King James Version, when it says they're taking his stand on visions he has seen, the King James has it translated, intruding into those things which he has not seen. But it means the same thing. Someone who comes up with visions or dreams, and he believes that that it, it, it's all from God, and therefore that is, that is truth. And so he, he's looking for something more than what's in the Scripture. And so this is what was happening, that, that the false teachers were going outside the Scripture, and they were, they were beginning to delve into things which they should not delve. And what are those things? Well... And by the way, where it says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. If, um, many have tried to interpret what prize means, but I believe it concerns our rewards in heaven. That if I add a whole bunch of regulations to myself just so I can look spiritual and I puff myself up, because I want to make sure that someone else sees me, and then I can compare to my, myself to another Christian who doesn't do the things I do, and then I can look down on them, and I walk around with pride, false humility. You know, then, then suddenly, uh, one day I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to lose rewards. 
because of my heart attitude and my motives. But what are some of the things Paul lists here? First, he says, delighting in self-abasement. Delighting in self-abasement. This is voluntary humility. Okay, it's, it's talking about choosing to, to make yourself so that others can see so low, so, you know, uh, boy, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy. Make sure that people think that you are the most humble person on earth. And we do it for show, just like the Pharisees did. If you remember, Jesus said, when he concerning the issues of the heart in Mark 17, I'm Mark 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by, being, uh, that by going into him can defile him. Nothing outside can defile you. Talking about food, eating something. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. He's talking, Jesus talking about the heart. All about what's in my heart. What are my motives? What are my attitudes? That's what God is concerned about here. And so this self-abasement. And he's going to go on uh, concerning that in the, in the next few verses, 20 to 23. We'll look at that in a minute. The next thing is the worship of angels. They were promoting the worship of angels. And that is... Uh, that is actually prevalent today. That people, this isn't enough. God's word isn't enough. Coming to church and sitting under God, the teaching of God's word, no, I need something more. And so people will tell you, yeah, but you've got to experience something greater. To really speak, reach a spiritual level, you have got to experience this or that. And if you really get into angels, wow, you're going to learn so much more. You'll, you'll have a greater spiritual understanding of things. And how sad it is because it's so scary when people start putting angels equal to Jesus. Or they say, well, we're going to be worshiping some angels too. We worship Jesus, but we also are going to worship the angels. Turn to First Timothy real quick. First, First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy four, verse one, Paul's writing to young Timothy, servant, minister of the gospel, pastor. Look what he says in first Timothy four, one. But the spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. Don't you think that's a little harsh? There it is, right before you, God's word. That there are people, and back then they were paying attention. And remember, Paul considered he was living in the last days. The apostles felt they were living in the last days because, because of the sin and everything else and the persecution. But they were believing Jesus could come any moment. So we... Uh, are believing we're living in the last days, but it's so easy to to fall away and try and get some new experience to add to our faith, add to our Christian experience. Because man, I I feel like 
I'm going through the motions. Everything's just boring at church. And I don't want to, you know, and I got to, let's find something new. Everybody wants something new. And that's what was getting the Colossians uh, into trouble. Verse 2, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men, verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So Paul's reminding Timothy, watch out for those who are adding to the faith and they're bringing in these, these doctrines of demons, which Satan comes as, as an angel of light. And some of these rules and regulations and traditions will look holy to you. And they'll give the appearance of holiness. But if they take your eyes off Christ and leads us into what we do on the outside, are we pleasing other people? Are we doing it for show? Then, then we, get, we are beginning to slip and get into trouble. Turn back with me then. Let's go back to Colossians 2. Go back to Colossians 2 real quick. He said the worship of angels. And then what's next in verse 18? Taking his stand on visions he has seen. Okay? Visions. You know, the... It's amazing how many people uh, take such stock in their dreams. And so they will take that as a message from God. And yet the scriptures warn us to not take things in our dreams as, as messages from God. Because it's so easy to be, to, to be swayed by the things that come into our mind. And... And suddenly, if I'm going outside the Bible and I'm taking some experience, I've experienced, and I'm saying, well, God told me. And you'll hear that a lot. God told me through a, a vision or through a dream. And then that becomes truth. It is accepted as truth. And therefore, added, it's on equal footing as the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. I was talking to a young man this past week, and I was talking to him about he, uh, he loves the Lord. He made a profession of faith, trusting Christ as Savior. And uh, as I was talking to him, I say, uh, so uh, what church do you go to? He mentioned a church. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he says to me, I preach Sunday. And he was 16 years old. And, and I said, really? You, you preached on Sunday. Wow, that's amazing. Were you the only one then? They just planned to ask you to uh, come up? Oh, no, no. I, I just stood up and, and I told them about a dream I had. And I told them what my dream was and what it meant. And then 
I said, were you the only one? Oh, no, no. People in our church, that's how they, we do it. Everybody stands up and says they had to have a vision or a dream. And they share it and they share, interpret it, what they, it means. And everybody, wow, that's wonderful. New truth, new revelation. My heart broke for that young man. And for those who are being swept away into that, because the word of God is not at the center. Christ is not at the center. And this is what Paul was talking about. Christ and his word has to be central in our worship and in, in our daily life in growing in Christ. But sadly, they, uh, some, some churches and, and denominations have got swept up in experience. Man, if, and I got to experience that. And so what I feel, it's right. And let me, this dream I had, let me tell you what it means. And, and then you take it and believe it. But then what happens? If we're believing all the dreams and all the, the you know, the, that we have and we share it with someone, say, this is true. God sent me this word. What are we going to have? We're going to have chaos. We're not because we're not founded on the word of God. How scary it is. And so this is what Paul is concerned about here. He goes on then. Look what, what it says. All these things. What does it do? Inflates without cause by his fleshly mind. He's talking about pride. It's this outward stuff that will, will puff up our minds and, and cause us to think so much of ourselves. And verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head of the, the body? Christ. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Not holding fast to Jesus Christ, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from who? From God. Not from any rules, not from any traditions, not from regulations, but my spiritual growth comes from God as I hold fast to Jesus Christ. Him and him only. And I focus upon my Savior and know he lives within me and therefore he will give me discernment and wisdom in making decisions and showing me as I ask God, Lord, give me wisdom and discernment to know what is true and what is false. And he will give that to us. James chapter 1. If we just ask for it, God will give it to us liberally. And then we grow by it. And then look at, in closing here, verses 20 to 23. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, worldly traditions, worldly principles, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teaching of who? See it there? Men. That's Paul's concern. Don't listen to man's opinion. And then them coming at you and saying, this is God's opinion. This is God's law. Verse 23. These are matters which, to be sure, the appearance of... 
they, they, they have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And this, this concerns what is called asceticism. Now, I know kids, if you're here, that, that, that goes, what is asceticism? But basically, asceticism is the practice of strict self-denial as a measure of personal and especially spiritual discipline. In other words, I'm going to beat my body up. And I'm going to, you know, and, and that's where it goes back to the days of the monasteries and the monks, men who would go into the monasteries and they so that they would fight against the flesh that is battling them, that's, that, that they're struggling with their flesh, that they go into a monastery and they say, well, if I get away from the world and I go in there and I have some other monk take a whip and beat me, and, and, and then I, I just, I'm constantly just reading or chanting, reading the Bible, but I don't want anything to do with the outworld, and I beat myself down. They think that that's going to make them holy. That that's going to defeat the, 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 the fleshly nature. Guess what? It doesn't. Only through Christ do we defeat our fleshly nature. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the word of God. And, up, and getting the word of God hidden in my heart that I might not what? Sin against him. Sin against him. This is what Paul is trying to get. Dear Christian, ask God to give you discernment and wisdom concerning things that others may throw on you and say, yeah, but you got to do this to be a real Christian. I spoke to a man who went to a church in the area. And uh, he actually put his faith and trust one Sunday there in Christ, heard the gospel. But then he came the next Sunday. As he came the next Sunday, after the service, the pastor greeted him. Now, the pastor knew that he was converted the Sunday before. But the pastor came up to him, looked at him, and said, You are going to hell. And the man looked at him. I thought I was saved last week. He goes, oh, no, you're going to hell. And the man asked the pastor, but why? Because you came to church with short sleeves on. And the pastor was serious. The man left disillusioned. Thank the Lord he came back to the faith and, and heard the truth. But what was happening there? It was something was being added to faith. And suddenly that man was being judged for the way he dressed. Oh, dear Christian, let us not allow stuff like that to enter into our lives or into our minds that we would not judge one another and not, not tell somebody, well, you better do this. If it's not in God's word, you know, then I need to keep my own convictions to myself before God. Let me see. Who brought a Bible with them this morning? Anybody bring a Bible? Did any of you get? Okay. Is that, is that Sawyer? Breckett? Bre Beckett? 
Beckett, could you come up? Could you bring your Bible? Thank you, buddy. Okay, Beckett here. Look at this little guy. He brought his Bible. Isn't that wonderful? Here's my friend Beckett, okay? Oh, man. So just suppose we made up some rules and regulations here at Jonestown Bible Church. He comes to church. He has Jesus into his heart. But I look at you, Beckett, and I go, let me see your Bible. Hmm. No, I'm afraid it's too small. This Bible's too small. You know, you know, God won't accept you because you're carrying such a small Bible to church. You can't be accepted by God if you carry one like this. Our church has a Bible you need to carry. Okay, carry that. Well, no, you're supposed to carry it. Now, come on. It's the right size for our church. This is the only way God's going to... Sorry. This is the only way God's going to accept you. Right? If you carry this around, this is the right size Bible, and then you're holy. Then you're... I don't think you want to carry this around, do you? You can have your old one. Give him a hand, would you? Thank you, Becky. See where, dear friends, there it is. Let us be careful. Let us be wise. And with the help of the Holy Spirit to be discerning and not let someone else judge us by their convictions and make sure that we don't judge someone else by ours. Let's pray together. As we close this morning, dear Christian, perhaps there are things in your life that you have a conviction about. But you realize that you have been trying to force your conviction and your opinion on others. And you've been judging. We all do it. And it's sin before God. Would you right now, dear Christian, confess the sin of judgment and condemning another believer for outward things? And hold to your conviction, but confess that your judgment may be sin. And ask God to give you grace to hold to your conviction, but accept the brother or sister who has a different one. Would you make that decision right now, Christian, this morning? If you're here without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not saved. We don't have a book of regulations, rules for you to come to Jesus with to follow, and then you're saved. You come by way of the cross. You come by putting your faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for you. He took your sins upon himself. He took the punishment for your sins so that you could be forgiven. By his stripes, his wounds, his, on the cross, you are spiritually healed. And he will forgive your sin right here and now. He'll cleanse your heart. He'll give you a new heart. He'll make you a new person. And you can become a child of God this morning just by putting your faith and trust in Jesus to save you. If you're ready to make that decision, would you pray a simple prayer like this with me now? It's not the prayer that saves you, not the words, but it's one way of 
telling the Lord that you are accepting his son this day as your Lord and Savior. Pray quietly in your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with the head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again spiritually. You've had a new birth. You are now a child of the King. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for decisions that may have been made this morning. And Father, may we walk by grace. And Father, may we keep our eyes fixed upon the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we hold fast to him. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.